So I don't know um, if you guys are TV watchers. Uh, I am a TV watcher. I'm a Netflix guy, so you might have other things. We've cut the cord, uh, so I'm a Netflix guy. And I watch one show a lot. Uh, it's a show called Fixer Upper. I'm not sure if you, have you guys seen it? Okay, you can, you can holler if you've seen it. It's a Texas show. We're okay with that. Um, so what I like about this show, and I should admit, I'm not a handy person. My wife is right there. You can ask her. I'm not a handy person. Just so that I can just set the stage for that, I went to Mexico mission trip one time. There was a water pipe that was leaking. All the people who were handy ran to their toolboxes, and I simply fell upon the pipe with my body, hoping to somehow absorb the water. Okay, so I'm not handy. When things go wrong, I just think, fall on it. That might work. Um, but the handy people, they run and get their tools, and they know how to fix things. That's, that's just not me. So it's surprising that I like a show like this. But I, I watch it, and I'm super excited. Like, I'm excited like it's a football game, okay? Because, you know, you get to see which house they pick, and then you go in, and they start taking off the sheetrock. And I'm, like, on the edge of my seat, like, let there be shiplap under there. I hope it's in good shape. I hope there's no dry rot. It would be horrible for them because then they can't paint it white just like everybody else is doing. But then they pull, peel back the carpet and you're like super excited and it's all looking good. It's natural hardwood. It's been there since the 30s. And then all of a sudden they get in there, fire damage. And I'm like, oh man, that's, that's like our fumble. That's like my fumble now when I see that kind of stuff. And the, you know, don't get me started on sinks because you, you know a farmhouse sink is in. And if somebody doesn't put a farmhouse sink in a kitchen, I'm like, you, you blew it. You were right there. And you decided to kneel down instead of go for the goal. I don't know why they did it, but they did. So but what I want to ask a question today is, why are those shows interesting to us? Why do we watch them? And what I want to suggest is that we watch them because we always get to see the end. We always get to see the finished product. So we start in and we get invested in this group of people who get to pick between three houses that are so dirt cheap it makes me yell. And then they get to go through all of their options where they pick things out. But... You know, you might, see some, you might see some work happening in there, but usually it's like fast motion. Things are happening really fast, and then, you know, you see drywall like in two seconds, as opposed to like probably the three weeks that it took. You don't see any of the contractors who don't show up. You don't see any of the middle stuff. You might see a little bit when they make a phone call and they say, $3,500 more. Uh, we might get a little bit of that. But for the most part, what we see is beginning, we get invested, and then we see the end. And in the end, we go, ooh, that house is gorgeous. It doesn't, you know, doesn't hurt that it's staged by a professional stager, which they don't get to keep that furniture, by the way. Read that recently. I think that's, you know, it's misleading. Anyways, I love these shows because I always get to see to the end. Okay? Now, just imagine for a second, you tuned into a show next week, that same show, and when it got to the end, they just said, see you next week. You don't get to see it. Tune in next week for more renovation. You know, middle stuff is what I fast-forwarded through. No? Okay. Maybe next week they'll show me the finished product. No. Next week it's another renovation. And next week it's another renovation. Are you watching that show? Are you excited about that show? I'm not. There was a show kind of like that. It was called This Old House. Horrible show. All it did was show renovation. They'd be showing dovetail drawers for like three weeks. I'm like, what's going on? I just didn't watch it. It's, I think it's canceled. Either way, it's not a good show. And, and we don't, we don't want to tune into that because we don't get to see the end. We're not invested in it. And so if you've got that picture in your mind, I want you to think about a show, but think of, of yourself in the context of it. Think of yourself as, as a house needing renovation. And what the Bible is going to teach us is that our bodies, the homes that we have right now, they can't go where we're going. They started off faulty. 
And they might, they, they've been owned, they've been bought. God's done that. But they can't, our houses can't be done here. They're going to be done there. So there's this whole middle part. We live the middle. We live the constant renovation. And sometimes it's super depressing. And so I want you to think, if you've got that in your mind, a show that's all about renovations, if you've got your mind, your life is a house, and it's a house that's needing renovation, we're in a good place to enter into this text. And the way I'm going to do that today is a little bit different. I'm going to start in the beginning, then I'm going to skip the middle, and then we're going to go straight to the end. So we're going to see what happens in the beginning, we're going to go to the end, and then we're going to come back to the middle. The reason I'm going to do that is I think it gets us, it gets us to understand what the middle is supposed to be for. You see, because as Christians and as people who know Jesus, we don't have an unknown future. It's known. So when we read sections of Scripture about sometimes troubles or or even renovations, there's a hope in it. So beginning, end, and we're going to end in the middle. There's one application point today and just one. So don't worry if you've got your pen. I'll let you know when that one happens. So we're going to start in the beginning. We're going to read verse 15, and we're going to go to 17 in the, and just to the first half, and I'll tell you when to stop. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Stop. That's the beginning. The next word is a middle thing. The beginning is, and the first word I want to show, adoption. That's the beginning. Okay? The beginning of this text starts with adoption. But anybody who knows knows adoption or has heard of an adoption or as our culture talks about adoption, you are one thing and then another. Am I right? You're born into one type of family or one family with one last name, and then you are adopted into a new family with a new last name. I, I've lived that in my life. My, my two daughters are adopted, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a second. But what are we adopted from? See, I think a lot of times we forget where we've come from, and I want to talk about that real fast. And it says it in verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have now received this new spirit of adoption. So, it, it stands to reason that if we can fall back into it, that at one point, every single one of us were in bondage to that spirit of fear. We were in bondage to slavery. And slavery to what? The Bible teaches very clearly that slavery is sin. That when God created the world, he made it good. And through the choices of our, of our ancestors, they decided to deliberately disobey God. And it changed the world wholeheartedly, completely. What God used to be able to roam freely in because of his righteousness, because of his glory, he could not be a part of. And so he goes to the throne room and he looks down upon the earth. And the one act that happened, that's that's judgment. Sin, judgment. Why is judgment fearful? Because imagine for yourself, without the shed blood of Christ, going into that throne room, trying to stand before the Lord and trying to justify yourself. Before a God who knows everything you've ever done, before a God who knows every sin you've ever had, who the Bible tells us examines our hearts, looks through our minds, are we going to stand in that courtroom and be able to say, I did a couple good things? No, the Bible teaches us that we've got no good thing. So your original house, your original vessel, by nature has a faulty foundation. That faulty foundation is sinful. We cannot please God 
in our state. And so why is that fearful? Because we know that if we can't please God, we can't be with God. If we can't be with God, we have to be away from God forever. That's our original birth. And because we have that original birth, we have an original inheritance. And that original inheritance is hell, literally. But praise be to God that there's Jesus, right? Praise be that the text begins with adoption. So we know that there's a time when we put off that. And we we get a new spirit, and the spirit is one of adoption. Thank God that we have Jesus who does that. Jesus who came perfect in every single way, lived the life you and I could not live, got the report card that you and I could have never got, we have the opportunity to follow him where he's going. That's the idea of adoption, okay? And the next thing that I want to say about that is because we now have this adoption, we have this ability to do something. There's an incredible word here. It's we've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. And now crying is a real thing. Okay, I think sometimes we try to water it down and say, well, well, if I know God and if I put my hope in Jesus and I know where I'm going one day, then everything else is going to come up roses for me. Everything's going to be okay. And the reality is that when we get the Spirit, we can finally cry. See, we might have been moaning, we might have been wailing, we might have been doing something before that, but when the Spirit of the Lord comes into us and, it, and, and speaks to our own spirit, it says it in the next one, that the Spirit bears witness with our own spirit. That's like a whispering in your ear. Son, 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 son. That's when we can cry because we know our position. We know our position with God. And we have that position because of Jesus. And now we have Jesus' spirit who's bearing with our spirit. Is this not an incredible promise? This is an incredible, and this is just the beginning. This is the beginning part of it. So many of you know that Rochelle and I adopted our two daughters, and I might have talked about this before, but um, our oldest, Bella, came to us at two and a half years old, and, um, you know, it wasn't, wasn't great when we first got her. We love her, and I, I don't mean it in that regard, but I mean my relationship with her as her dad was strained right from the get-go. She went through some stuff, um, and so every time I would try to put her to bed, let's say, there was nothing but panic and fear. I could not be in the room alone with her. She would kick and scream and scratch and cry, and she would do all of those things, okay? Now, and the picture I want to draw here, and I think, it, I think it applies, is our adoption moves into a relational aspect of our life, okay? So think about this for a moment. When Bella was in those moments and she was crying and she was screaming and she was acting out, did I try to change or modify her behavior by pulling adoption papers out of my back pocket and showing it to her? And saying, your position is me, it's with me now. I'm your dad. Your position's there, so knock all this off. No, when she cries, when she finally had the ability to cry and be safe to cry, those cries brought me. And I went to her and I attended to her. And even though she acted out, did I act out back? You can't. That's not how you get better. And so in time, that relationship started to mend. It started to heal. We started to get to a place where eventually she could say the words, Daddy. So we can all say Father, which is just an objective term. We all have fathers in this world. We know what that's like. But it's very hard for us to say Daddy. And so I believe that when we receive the spirit of adoption, what we're receiving 
is a relationship with the spirit and an entrance into the family of God. And it's meant to be experienced. It's meant to be experienced. You do not hang your adoption papers on the wall and think that's going to change you. Looking at the past and looking backwards is not what the Bible teaches we should do. We are always looking forward. We have a future hope that's yet to come. So when hard times come, and I'm going a little bit to the middle, and I don't mean to do that, but when that happens, you can't look at your adoption papers and think somehow that's going to change your heart. What changes your heart is the relational part when you're crying, when you don't know what to do, when you don't know what's happening next, and you say, Abba, Daddy, I I don't know what to do. That's the beginning of our relationship. That's what the Spirit testifies to, the Spirit in our spirit testifying. I want you to think for a second of a son and a father. They are, are walking to school. Okay, they're walking to school, and on, they're on opposite sides of the street. The father's on this side, and the son is on this side. Here they go. Is that child, even though he's across the street, is he, is he a son? Yeah, it's a son. Now think for a second. They cross the corner, and the son crosses the street. As they get closer, the father picks him up before he drops him off, gives him a huge kiss on the face, and puts him down. Did the position of the child change? Position was the same. Still a son. But what did change? The experience the son has with the father. This life with Jesus, this life with God is meant to be experienced. And the spirit is that which testifies in our spirit. Son, son. That's the beginning. So we're going to go to the end of this text at least. We're going to start in uh, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We're going to stop there. We are going to go one verse forward in a minute. But the first thing that I want you to draw attention to is, in the beginning of the text, we see spirit of adoption. So we know that the spirit is there. And now we're seeing the spirit again right there in verse 26. And what is the spirit doing? Helping us in our weakness. So now we see two things that the spirit's happening. When you're in the family of God, the spirit does two things that only this text is telling us. Read more and we will find out more. But it bears witness that we are sons and helps so we, we have this God who not only accomplishes everything that we couldn't accomplish through Jesus, we now have his spirit who's testifying to us to who we belong to and is now helping us in our weakness. Not only helping us in our weakness, but it says we don't know what we ought to pray. Can I just present to you, I think that's just our ignorance when we just don't know. When the things around us are just going haywire. I think that's, that's the tone. And, and the spirit interjects his help. And how does the Spirit do that? The Spirit helps us in our weakness because he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Intercedes praying. Okay, so we have this this idea that not only is the Spirit testifying to our spirit, now we have the Spirit who's praying for our what? It doesn't say for our strengths in the beginning. It says for our weakness. We're prayed for in our weakness. And when we don't know what to do, The Spirit intercedes for us. But for what? The next. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So that gives us a hint. If it's the Spirit who's praying for us and the one who searches heart knows that mind of the Spirit, it's not the Spirit who's searching our heart. 
It's God the Father searching our heart. So here's an example. We have the Spirit who in our weakness is interceding for us through our groanings or, or through a groaning. So we don't have even the words to, 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 to come up with what this life is like sometimes. And so we have the Spirit who's interceding. We now have the Father who's searching our heart. And it says that the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. See, see the Spirit doesn't need to groan. Okay, because God, who's three in one, is completely perfect in and of himself and has an amazing relationship with every part of the Trinity. So the Father knows the Spirit. They don't need to groan. Who needs to groan? We groan. So when it says that the Holy Spirit is, is with us in our groanings or is groaning for us, quite literally I think that means he's taking our groaning to God. What a picture what a picture in this life that we have a God who does that. But I think it even gets better. It gets better because it says, according to the will of God. So we have the Spirit praying according to the will of God. We don't yet know what that is, and we're going to get to a second. We're going to get to that, but I want to just really quickly go through 1 Thessalonians. And uh, it's going to be in chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. Chapter 4, uh, and it's the third verse. So we're trying to figure out what the will of God is. And it says, for this is the will of God. Convenient. We want to know what the will is. Here it is. For this is the will of God, comma, your sanctification. Okay? Let's see it in another place. This is 2 Thessalonians. This is in chapter 2, in verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification, by the Spirit and belief in truth. So we see here two different texts that tell us the will of God for your life, if you are a Christian, if you are following Jesus, is your sanctification. So let's go back to Romans 8 for a second, and let's think about that. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding for us according to the will of God. So he's praying for us that we might become sanctified. The word sanctified is basically becoming holy to be made like Jesus. So here's a picture of the triune God. Son accomplished what he already there. Inheritance. The Spirit, who is not only testifying, but now our helper. And we have the Father, and it's his will who hears the Spirit when he's groaning for us. This is an amazing truth. And so... We haven't answered the question yet, though, what is the Spirit praying? We know He's praying in accordance with something, but I, th I actually think that the logic follows, and if we start in verse 28, I think it's this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who called according to His purpose. Now, if we start out with something that says suffering or weakness, and we don't know what we ought to pray for, when we, when, when we get into this good, I think what we can surmise is the good that God has for us is getting us to where we're going. Because I don't think it's the good here. Because brothers and sisters, we're going to back up into the middle in a second. And the middle says some stuff like, you're not going to like it. And sometimes this verse is used to say, or to trivialize sometimes our pain. Trivialized and to say, hey... Don't worry about that. You know what? 
He's working all things for good, brother. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm guilty of doing that. Because when the things are tough, when suffering comes, when we're in the lowest places, we sometimes don't know what to say to each other. And so we say stuff like, it's working it for good. Now that doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean it's not true by a long shot. It just means that the ultimate good is not the good in the here and now. It's the good when we will be able to have an inheritance. We will be able to see God face to face. So take the metaphor again of us being a house. Okay, We have a house. We picked it. Or we didn't pick it, sorry. It had a faulty foundation. Then we were bought, literally God's house now. Okay, And now in the end, here's the picture that we have a completed renovation. But this body can't inherit the ultimate blueprint that God has for you. It can't inherit it. Remember how I said in the beginning, we have an, an original inheritance. And that original inheritance is death. And our physical body, we were born into that. And we will not escape it. We are not escaping death. We are not escaping persecution. We are not escaping tough times. As a matter of fact, and what I want to present to you, and I think we're good, it's time to go to the middle, what I want to present to you is suffering is not only probably already here for many of you, but coming in increasing measure. Because not only do the circumstances and the situations in your life draw you to suffer from time to time, but you're dying. Your body has to give out. And your body will give out. We know this. When we were kids, we could ride our bike for four hours, hop in the pool, swim six laps, go ride again, wake up the next morning, and we're like, let's do it again. I mean, now I lay in my bed wrong, and I can't walk for a day. I'm literally, I know I'm dying. I know I'm dying. Okay, we know what's happening. Our bodies are giving out. People around us that we love are dying. And do you know what? Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, we suffer the same. We have the same experiences. Just because we know the Lord does not diminish our suffering in this world. It doesn't diminish the times when we're on our knees and needing to cry out, Abba. As a matter of fact, sometimes it could make it worse because we know where we're going and yet we can't get there. And so we have like this, this even, a, even a heavier load. But this is the middle part. And the reason I'm not going to spend too much time on the middle, and I think the reason why we're supposed to read it that way, is the middle is like that. The middle is going by so quick. I mean, you blink and your kids are going to be 20. They're going to be in school. Your body, which was once, once full of vitality, maybe is breaking down. Okay? So, so deep... Biblical teaching on suffering isn't that we are going to be removed from it in this world. It's that we have it because our bodies are broken. And they're not going to be fixed here. 1 Corinthians 15 says our bodies, but a kernel. It's just a kernel. It's just a seed. This isn't what we're supposed to live for. It's just the beginning part. Because when it dies, then God can raise it then the ultimate renovation can happen in glory. Then we're going to be able to see God face to face, but there's still a middle. 
You are adopted and you have a spirit now who's telling you who you are, who you belong to. You are a son. You are a daughter. Your position is secure. And you have a spirit who's bearing witness with your spirit. And you have a spirit who's praying for you in your weakness to get you to the good. And the good is with him. Isn't that an incredible picture? It's an incredible picture. But now, and I don't want to minimize this, we're stuck in the middle. We're fixer-upper light. We're never going to see the farmhouse sink here. Never. We're never going to see the renovated walls here. Well, we, and there's, there's, there's a part where maybe we can, but here's the picture of the middle for the Christian, okay? You've renovated your upstairs bathroom. God's done something for you, and it's pretty cool. And you go upstairs, and you're like, I like this bathroom. This bathroom's nice. You take one step down the stairs, and what do you see? Broken tiles everywhere, cabinets looking haggard, sliding glass door off the hinges. I mean, this is the picture of what it's like for the Christian in the middle. We have a picture and we know where we're headed. We have some good things that are already happening because God's making us more like Jesus. And yet we're always acutely aware of the mold around the tub. And we will not escape that mold around the tub. We live in it. That's our reality. Our reality is everything around us is dying. Everything around us, including even our, even our flesh, even the spirit within us, even our, our spirit, not the spirit of God. It, it, the Bible teaches us that it's, it longs for sin. We long for it. And so we know that there are times when we're going to fail mightily. We're going to mess up all the time. That happens. That happens in the middle. And can I tell you that when that happens, you're not meant to hide it. You're not meant to go back upstairs and look at the one part that was renovated. You're supposed to see the bad parts because in the middle section here, it says that not only does the creation groan, but we groan because we have a hope of what's coming. Okay? You can see it here. And I'm going to just, I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to breeze through it really quick, and I'm going to start in uh, 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as Son, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? So, here we have a picture of, a, of an expectant mother. And how many of you have been in the room when someone is giving birth? I haven't. Um, I will in October, so that's my Facebook announcement. We're pregnant. Um, I'll just breeze past that. So I'm going to see it, but I've seen enough movies to know that when, when we talk about this, this groaning, um, it's a real thing. I've seen Grey's Anatomy enough. I know what's happening there. But, and here's the distinction. If you weren't watching the TV and you just heard those cries... Would you know that they were related to childbirth? Would you know that the end result was life? See, in this world, our crying out can sound a lot like the cries of death. Matter of fact, for those of us who don't know Jesus in this room, that's exactly what your cries are. But for those of us who know Jesus, our cries are different. And what are our cries? Our cries lead to life. There's life. 
So there's hope. This word hope is in here a lot. And our culture uses hope the complete wrong way. We use, I hope I get into a good school. I hope I find a really hot wife. I hope that this, I hope that that. But really what we're saying is we don't know the outcome. We just wish it'll be a good one. The Bible takes hope, drops it on his head and says, you're hoping for what's secure. You already know. So the middle, even though it's tough, and even though you're suffering in increasing measure all the time, not only with external things, but internally you know you're dying, all it does is reinforce the hope that you already have in what's coming. Christian, you're going to get there. And you're going to get there not because you're the one who's going to do it. You're going to get there because you've got a spirit who's not only testifying to it, but prays for you. God takes you there. That's the beginning. That's the end. And so what's holding us back in the middle? Do you have something in your heart that is holding you back from understanding and just saying, Daddy, we're supposed to see the mold. Confess it today. Be free with it today. Get, it, get rid of it. Are you going through something that's really tough for you? Do you know that your body is withering away? Have you just been diagnosed with a disease? You're supposed to know it. Don't minimize it and say, well, this is just for my benefit, so I'm just going to be joyous. I'd like you to say, this is terrible. What's happening to me is terrible. But what Paul says here, the terribleness of it, there's not even a word, there's not even a picture, there's not even a metaphor that can compare with what's coming. Paul is great with words. He's an incredible wordsmith. And all he says is, all I can say is that the present suffering isn't even worth to be compared to what's coming. See, we have in measure in a part we might think we know, but the glory that's to be revealed in us is so far beyond what our minds can imagine that no matter how hard you groan in this life, all it does is reinforce the hopefulness that you have as a Christian. That's the middle. That's not to discount that the middle is incredibly hard. It's not to discount that you're going to have moral failure because you are. It's not going to discount that you've been trying to hide sin and you've got to talk about it. And in this world, you're going to have to suffer because of it. It's not to discount the fact that the people around you have been, will be, and are going to die. We don't discount into that as Christians. We push into that. Because by pushing into it, it brings the most glory to God. So today, our response And I told you the one application point that I have for you, I want you to think about John chapter 21. John chapter 21, we meet Peter, who was a disciple. And here we see him on a boat with other disciples. This is after Jesus has been been dead, and he has now resurrected. We see him on a boat, and he's on a boat. When we saw him just before that, he was with Jesus, and he was telling him, Jesus had said, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to die. Peter says, no way, not, not you. Not going to happen. No matter, how, no matter what they try to do, it's not going to happen. Uh, because I'm going to be here and I'm going I'm to fight them. Matter of fact, he actually pulls out a sword and lops off somebody's ears. God puts it back. Jesus puts it back on. Weird story, but it's there. Um, <clears throat> so the importance of that is this. Jesus tells them, three times you're going to deny me. You fast forward, I think it's six, maybe eight hours in the timeline. And sure enough, Peter denies him three times. 
Okay, so we have this Jesus, we have, we have Jesus who, who, who said, this is what's going to happen. We have Peter who said, by no way, I'm going to use every strength, every effort, every reserve that I have, and surely that won't be the case. But you know what? It was the case. And, we, and what the Bible tells us is that Peter runs away and he weeps bitterly. See, in our world, when we think we've offended somebody, the easiest thing to do is separate from them. The easiest thing. That's why ex-wives and ex-husbands, they usually don't get together for coffee once a week. There's a perceived offense, and they separate. But here's, here's the example, and here's the model. In chapter 21, they're fishing. They've been fishing all night long. They haven't caught anything. There's somebody on the shore who says, hey, you guys catch anything? They said, no. He said, just throw your nets on the other side. Throw their nets on the other side. There's this incredible bounty of fish that's in the net. And one of the disciples says, that's the Lord. And Peter, the last time we saw him, denied Jesus three times and wept bitterly. And I can only imagine, I can only imagine the conversations he was having with himself. I can only imagine what was happening. I can only imagine that when he was presented with the reality of his mold, how he felt. And yet, what do we see Peter do the first time he sees the Lord? Matter of fact, he doesn't even see the Lord. Someone says, there is the Lord. He doesn't wait to see. It says he gets up, takes his like cloak, ties it on, and dives right in. Now see, the text is going to tell you that the boat was actually going to go back in. He could have just waited and stayed dry. He could have just waited and helped them bring in the, in the load of fish. But what does Peter do? He even hears that the Lord is there, and he dives in. Only a life that is certain of where it is going can dive in. Only a life that knows of the inheritance that's the coming. Peter knew Jesus, was not afraid to approach him, even in the context of a great sin, even in the context of a great moral failure. And so today we're going to sing a song. It's called Slaves No More. And I just invite you as a response to sing that song over yourself as a Christian here. Sing that song. And if you don't know the Lord, my invitation is, You can sing that song, and it can be a new song for you. It can be a song you've never sung before. And you can sing the words, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. You can choose in your seat to follow Jesus. I hope you do. Let's pray. Father, you're good to us, good beyond measure. Father, you're with us not only in the beginning, you're helping us in the middle and you are the end you're our inheritance you are what we get to see face to face father can we just bring that reality into our room and uh, into this room and into our hearts we pray this in the mighty name of jesus amen